Welcome back to the Love Your 9 to 5 show, episode number 18. You will begin to love your 9 to 5 with this show. Join us as we explore and discover your unique strengths and learn to apply them to your daily business activities with your host, Shmuel Septimus. Welcome to this next episode of the Love Your 9 to 5 show, where we learn how to apply our unique talents and superpowers to our everyday professional environments. My guest today is the CEO of Business Ghost, New York Times bestselling author, ghostwriter of over 500 books, featured on Shark Tank, amongst a lot of other things. Michael Levin, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much. Okay, thank you. Uh, Michael, if you don't mind just telling us a little bit more about yourself, I know you gave a very brief introduction of some of your accomplishments, but can you tell us a little bit more personally um, how this all started for you and professionally how it evolved? <laughs> Well, I'm not very proud of the story, but I'm happy to tell it. All right. Sounds even better. Yeah, I, I was a lawyer by training, and I didn't want to be a lawyer. I didn't like it, and they didn't like me, and we came to a, a mutually agreed upon parting of the ways, which means that I was fired from my last firm, and I stopped looking for uh, work in the field. Okay. I sold three novels to Simon & Schuster uh, and ran out of money, started a business, didn't know anything about it had a bunch of credit card debt and nothing to show for it. I met a guy who's been my business mentor now and, and uh, like a father figure uh, for almost 24 years. He sat me down in a, in a donut shop and he took out a single sheet of paper. He said, I've worked with a lot of you creative people. You cannot do your best work. Uh, jacked up and you can't pay for your life, and rent and food. So he, he took that single sheet of paper and he showed me how to start a business on that sheet of paper. Wow. And I have followed his instructions to the letter, and the thing took off. I filled writing class after writing class. People started saying, consult with me. And then people started saying, hey, you know, just can you write the book for me? So I backed into uh, ghostwriting. But that was, as, I, as you said, more than 500 books ago. Actually, the number is closer to seven or 800. Wow. Uh, sort of redoing the, the count. And it kind of blows me away. Wow. Uh, 18, 18 national bestsellers, two New York Times bestsellers. Let's just try to unpack that statement a little bit. I mean, you started <laughs> off in your law career. I mean, there's just so much in there. Um, you started off in your law career and you've you stuck it out for some time, it sounds like, until uh, they helped you understand that perhaps you'd be more successful as a ghostwriter. Um, what was that like for you? Why did you go there initially? Why the why the transition? Why, why do you think for yourself it wasn't a good fit? Well, I didn't like what I was doing. It was... A corporate firm in Boston. The firm no longer exists. Okay. We had one client who had literally taken five widows of their life savings, which wasn't much, twenty to twenty five thousand each, which in, in the eighties, so that's probably fifty thousand today. Wow. And he he uh he absconded with the money and I wrote a I spent a month writing a thirty page brief and uh the judge let him off. And I think the last time we heard from him he was running a restaurant in Pennsylvania. And, you know, I looked at my, I was 28, I looked at myself in the mirror and thought, you know something, if this is what you do, this is what you're going to become. 
And I know there are other more noble areas of the law. I had to tell, I'll tell you something amazing. Well, just yesterday, uh, you know, you're seeing all these these uh, these allegations about about men and misbehavior in the workplace. Right. And one of the men who was accused, a really big name guy, uh, his lawyer. I see the name of the lawyer, and I go, "Oh my God, that can't be!" And sure enough, it's a it's a it's a guy I went to college with, who was sort of a counterculture guy back then, a really super cool guy. And now I'm sure he's super cool, but he's carrying water for for for, for a really sick, uh, disgusting guy. And you know that's what. So sort of like if you're going to cash their check, you're gonna you're gonna defend them, and you're gonna do it as best you can. And I I, I don't mean any disrespect to all the lawyers out there who do great work for their clients. But it's just, I don't know. I mean, uh, I think if I'd stumbled into a different part of the law or if I'd, uh, I, 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 I can't say what, but I'm, I, and, and I have an attorney, you know, I was just emailing him earlier today. To summarize, basically your job was not in sync with your values. You couldn't go to sleep at night knowing that you're letting people who you don't think are so innocent getting away with things because of your skills at defending them. Yeah, and and I didn't I didn't like it, and I didn't want to be that guy. And uh, the rest of it I found really boring, and I, I just didn't like the the culture uh, in, in in law firms. And I just thought, you know, something this is ridiculous. And they didn't like they could tell that I didn't want to be there. So, right, some things are 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 not meant to be, and it's fine that that was right. I understand now. Um, going from the world of the cutthroat type of uh, world of law that you're in, or and going to creative writing and you know ghost writing, how, how did that transition come about? Is that something that you knew you had in you all along, or were you forced to just find something inside in order to pay the bills? Ghosting? <laughs> well, writing in general, books in general, <laughs> and specifically. Oh, I mean, look! All, all I ever wanted to do was write books, and that's all I ever want to do still. Is I love writing. I mean, I just I just adore it. It you know, time stops when I'm doing it. I I lose track of everything else. Um, the very first book I ghost wrote was for a cousin of mine, who has since passed away, who was a, a, a Holocaust survivor, and one of the Jews Schindler had kept alive, mm-hmm. and and then in turn he kept Schindler alive after uh, the war. Schindler was destitute, and this was a man who saved the lives of hundreds, maybe thousands of people. And wow. uh, my cousin was one. So I, 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 you know, we were we were we were at his bar, his grandson's bar mitzvah. He's up on stage crying. Everybody's crying. He's like, when I was sixteen and in the camps, I never imagined blah blah blah. And and his grandson, you know, is thirteen and uh, has no idea what's going on. He's just sort of joking around with his buddies, which is fine. You're thirteen, right. but came down and he knew I wrote books, and I'll never forget it. We just looked at each other, and uh, we knew. And I spent the next four years, you know, I mean, it was on and off, of course, but. It took four years, and we got his memoir done, and wow. and that was the first time I, I ghosted him. So, wow, wow! So was, uh, that was the beginning of this career uh, for you in your in your ghost ghost writing career. Now, can you tell us how did you end up on Shark Tank? What was that like for you, and <laughs> how did, how did that change your business if it did? Oh yeah, it, it changed everything. I had never honestly heard of the show until. Uh, the night before, I was interviewing the executive producer of the show for a client's book, and he's telling me about all these about forty minutes. And I'm feeling very less than because all I do is sit and type. And then he calls in, and then and then he turns around and he says, "Let me turn the conversation around. Have you ever thought about applying for our show?" And I 
looked at him like, are you nuts? And I said to him, I don't think my business is sexy enough. It's just me in a room typing. Right. And he said, he said I disagree. He said, I think it is. And I want you to go. So if the executive producer wants you, you know, so I didn't have to go through the, I mean, there are 30,000 people trying to get on that year. This mm-hmm. is season three. And there were 35 people aired. And I was one of them. Um, uh, I felt like I had been miniaturized and shrunk and, and stuck in my television. Um, it was sort of a television uh, said it was sort of a weird experience to go you know to go into the tank. Mm-hmm. And on the one hand, uh, I don't. I, it's not. This is not a business that requires uh, that kind of financing or investors. So I didn't really need the money. But on the other, the exposure was just you know priceless. So I did not get a deal. It's frustrating to get rejected. I've never seen my episode all the way through. But my business is probably four or five times bigger than it was. And more than that, you remember, I'm a failed lawyer who's a writer guy who's kind of a failed writer who sold a bunch of stuff but couldn't really sustain a living from it. Now I'm basically, you know, doing other people's writing. So I always had this sort of stigma in my mind about ghosting. And these guys paid me such respect. And they said, you know, you've done what 0.001% of writers have ever done. It's just to turn your your avocation or your passion into a business. And they were so respectful that it transformed the way I saw myself as a business person. So in one sense, uh, the Shark Tank episode, which re-airs every eight weeks, is a is an ongoing advertisement for business ghosts. But in a broader sense, it was like an intervention on me on national television trying to get me and getting me to accept the idea that I really am a business guy and that I can hold my head up high wow. as a successful business person so even though you didn't get the deal but they were able to kind of transform the way that you thought of yourself professionally and that itself to coupled with the exposure was able to really bring you to the next level now at that point have had you already written your you know new york times best-selling books at that point or did it follow that event great question uh the the times bestseller the first one came before and the second came out Okay. So, you know, you're being a little bit humble, but, you know, obviously you brought a lot of talents into that room. They were respectful for a reason and, you know, and they were able to see what they had in front of them. And then they were able to, you know, show you that you had even more inside of you and what you were able to bring out. Now, I'm sure there's a lot of people who are listening right now who are, who are saying, what is this thing called a ghost writer? And are you writing about ghosts? And does this have to do with Halloween? So can you just define the term for us? Oh, that's, I like the way you put it, Shmuel. A ghost is someone who uh, facilitates the dissemination of the ideas of another in book form. That's my classic definition. But okay. The, the, so what's the what, layman what, definition? Um, it's your ideas. We interview you. We put it in a book. It's your picture and your name on the cover. It's your book. It's by you. It's not by us. Our role is confidential. And now you have a book that is the ultimate marketing edge. It is the, uh, it's the, it's the ultimate leave behind. It's the thing that gets you a high level speaking. It's the thing that allows you to convince not just your prospect, but the spouse of the prospect. Because, you know, in my marriage, if I say to my wife, I found the guy, she's like, yeah, sure, like last time. So, <laughs> you know, it doesn't work out. But, but if I say, I found the guy and here's his book, he goes, oh, okay. And then, and so, so, you know, there's nothing like a book to convince people, people that you're the person. And, and in the internet era, everything becomes a commodity. Every business, every service provider, every professional, because the buyers have so many more options than they ever did. They used to have only people who are within 
you know, half, half an hour, an hour driving distance. And now they've got the whole universe, the whole, the whole world that they, can, uh, that they can choose from. So the question is, how do you decommoditize yourself? Because if you don't, you're going to be competing on price, and that always ends badly. Right. So, you know, so how, do you, how, do you, how do you demonstrate your knowledge base, your value, your problem-solving ability, the fact that you're the most trustworthy advisor in a situation? How do you demonstrate that to a niche audience you define? Well, you bring us, you bring us in, we interview you, you we write your book, and, uh, and, then, and then there it is. It's in your hands. It's on Amazon. It's a physical book. It's an e-book, a paperback, the hardcover, whatever you want. And then, boom, uh, now I, you know, the world beats the path to your door because everybody else has a white paper or a website that looks like everybody else's website. But you're an author. So that's the, uh, or it's a memoir to capture a family history. Or, or a business culture, businesses come to us because they're expanding and they want to preserve their early, uh, exciting culture and they don't want new hires to think this is just another job. So they'll say, take this home on Friday and read it, read it over the weekend before you come in. Or it's a way of uh, cementing relationships with uh, all sorts of people, with, with prospects and, and, uh, and vendors and uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, regulators, legislators, whoever you have to so that's that's the that's the power of the book now two things i guess the first question is if if i'm not a writer but i have a lot of information and you interview me and you write the book for me does it sound like i'm the one who's writing the book or does it sound like it's coming from somebody else yeah if the book sounds like me or like my team we failed the book has to sound like you um i have a you know we have a website business businessghost.com there's a there's a page with sample chapters and it's got excerpts from eight or nine books that we've written. Mm-hmm. And these are people of different ages, backgrounds, race, ethnicity, gender, everything. And not one of those books sounds like the, any of the others in any way. Mm-hmm. So the reality is that, 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 that a really great ghost is able to capture not just the meaning that you're trying to convey, but also your language, your syntax, your mode of expression, so that the reader feels as though he's sitting or she's sitting in a Starbucks having a conversation with you one-on-one, and it's very intimate and personal. And, the, and, and then people who know you read the book, and it never even occurs to them that you got help. They just go, wow, I love your book. That's great. So Now, have you seen, you know, do your clients report back to you, um, you know, hard uh, business results as a result of having the book? Yep. We have a document that we send out when we send out proposals that lists the return on investment that our clients report. And, it's, and, and, and we aim for 10x and higher. So whatever you spend on the book, we want you to get 10 times that in the first year or so. Wow. Uh, but, and our clients do that a lot. Wow. Uh, yeah. So, so you know, by whatever measure, new clients, um, money under, invest, uh, un, under management if you're a financial advisor, uh, premiums if you're in insurance, uh, we're, we're, we're looking to create a 10x return. Wow. Take us to your biggest business failure, the time when really maybe a decision that you made or something that was really, really maybe not so comfortable and what, what you learned from there and how you, how you implemented. Um, you know, it's easy to say it now when we see the success. Hopefully it's easier. Yeah, sure. Uh, okay, I mentioned this earlier. The year before I started this business, I started a different business, which was offering four hours of audio about writing on cassettes, which were the mode of sharing audio at the time. This is 1993. Okay. And 
I did. Uh, so I, I, I heard Robert Townsend, uh, the, 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 the director, saying that I, I heard him interviewed on NPR. Uh, mm-hmm. on, uh, and, and he said, you know, when I was doing my movie, I financed it on credit cards. And he said, you know, people would say, you know, you owe me money. I'd say, well, I, I can't pay you, but I can, you know, I can fill your tank with gas. And mm-hmm. that sort of stuck with me. And I thought, wow, I could just get a whole bunch of credit cards and then I can, you know, finance the starting of the business and then it'll take off and I can pay them back and it'll be great. Well, you know, I went down the wrong path. I went down. Uh, there's a guy named Steve Blank. For the listeners who are not familiar with Steve Blank, he is a consultant in Silicon Valley. He's the smartest guy in the room. He says most startups focus wrongly on the product. And then they've got the launch date, and then they've got the estimates, and this is when we're going to ship, and it's going to be great. But the one thing that they forget to do is to talk to customers and find out, is there a need for this? Do people want it? Will people pay for it? How much will they pay for it? What kind of problem will it solve? Should they modify the product so it's something different from what you originally had in mind? Imagine that. I didn't do any of that. I just blithely thought, well, if I put it on the market, you know, people, I hired an advertising agency, and I felt like a real big shot until I had no sales, a bedroom full of cassettes I couldn't move, which I finally donated to some veterans organization or something like that, wow. uh, and $33,000 worth of credit card debt, which took, me, took seven years to uh, six years to pay off. Wow. And so I was paying the debt off and I was dead broke. Uh, my partner, my classmates at Columbia Law School are making a partner and I'm going to the bank to buy savings bank life insurance for $35,000. So if I die, uh, the insurance covers the credit card debt. Wow. But so uh, the thing is that it taught me a lot. And uh, when, when, when Bob uh, sat me down in the Dunkin' Donuts, uh, in uh, in February of ninety four, it'll be twenty two years, uh, twenty four years uh, uh, in February. Um, mm-hmm. I I was really I was open and ready to listen because there was not a shred left of arrogance or I know best. So, do you feel that that was a necessary precursor to the success that followed? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it, I mean it's, it's sliding doors with Gwyneth Paltrow. Like who knows? Right, right. It, it, you know. It, I don't regret it now. I mean, I took my best shot. I learned a lot from it. And uh, maybe, I'll never know. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a great question. There's, there's just no way to, there's no way to A-B test on that. Right, right. It's entirely possible. But, I mean, but that made it that you were wide open to listen to anything at that point. Now, uh, the burning question, at least in my mind, and I'm sure the listeners as well, is what was on that sheet of paper? Do you mind sharing the secret? Yep. Happy to. I know I don't mind at all. First, we went over my expenses. What does it cost for me to live a month? And this is 1994, and I'm single, and I have no uh, expenses other than my life, my living expenses, which were very basic, and my credit card debt. So we figured out what do I have to earn a month to cover those costs, a little bit more taxes. Okay. And then and now we now we take that, and what he said is, okay, there are 160, 160 working hours a month, four weeks at 40 hours a week. You need 20 hours a week for your writing. So now you have 80 hours a month for the business. And he took the amount of money that we agreed that I needed each month, and we divided that by 80. And that told me what I had to make an hour in order to pay for my life and have 20 hours a week to pursue my own writing. And then... We, and, then, and then we looked at 
the income side. He said, okay, my suggestion, my suggestion, it's like whatever you say, Bob, <laughs> you know, my suggestion, you know, I mean, the expression is I was too broke to, t- to pay attention. Right. I was not too broke to pay attention. I was paying careful attention. So, uh, so then we figured, he said, okay, let's say you were offering writing classes. Um, uh, how much would you need to charge in order to, um, you know, make that money? Uh, let's say the class lasted for six weeks, so you could do one, you know, every two months. How many people per class? How much would you have to charge them? That was the that was the formulation. So based on that one, and I've done that exercise with other people, and it's just a, uh, you know, it's life changing for people. And I keenly regret that I don't have that piece of paper. <laughs> that was uh, my next question. <laughs> but that's you know, but that's really it. And and then you know, when you look at it that way, all of a sudden. Kind of stuff, stuff just kind of seems simple and makes. But I mean, had you have you ever heard of any? Think of that. I've never heard of it. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, have you, so. Right. I think the biggest, you know, the genius of that method, in my opinion, is he's just quantifying the overwhelming feeling. Before that, it was, oh my gosh, I'm broke. I'm never getting out of this. I'm gonna die broke. Let me take life insurance so at least they can pay for my funeral. Now it's a whole different perspective. This is exactly how much it costs to make a month. This is how much I can, you know, make a month. This is how much time I need in order to get out of this mess and not just to survive. You know, you can take the luxury of those 20 hours that you need to move your business forward and you're just quantifying it. And now, now we have a real plan. And, you know, I, I think the, the, the genius is in its simplicity and straightforwardness that it's, you know, it's not just quantifiable. Instead of just keeping you know, your head down and, and just working and slaving away, there's a very clear, simple plan. It requires, I'm sure, a lot of hard work uh, to get out of it, but eventually you are very successful. Now, I know I'm taking uh, you know a lot of your time here, and I want to kind of wrap things up over here. And if this question I ask all of my guests, but I don't, this definitely never was more meaningful to any other guest than it will be to you, and may never be again. Um, wow. <laughs> So well, I just have to say that's a lot of pressure. You're putting. It's a lot of pressure. But usually I ask them if you had to recommend just one book that you would recommend to the listeners that would help them be able to be as successful as you are, success not being defined as financial success, but success being defined as working in an environment which they're completely in love with. As you mentioned earlier, you can write all day and just forget to go to sleep. If there's one book that can help someone, you know, identify what it is and also help them apply it, or anything that could help in that general direction, if you had to pick one, which book do you think you would pick? Yeah, there's no question. The book is called The Dynamic Laws of Prosperity. The author is Catherine Ponder, P-O-N-D-E-R. The book talks about the spirituality of money. Most people, and myself included, have the, you know have the wrong impression about money that it's not good or dirty or it's it's uh, not a good topic or, or whatever or they or they they worship it they 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 put too much emphasis on it. so it, this steers you to an amazing middle ground where you understand the spirituality of money the way uh, God intended money to be used in society it, the book is uh, uh, she's a Unity Church minister and uh, there's the, the book is is uh, pretty non-sectarian some of our other stuff is a little more avowedly religious mm-hmm. but i just uh uh you know and, and you might say what's a jewish guy reading that book for well i gotta tell you somebody gave me that book in 1994 the same year i was dead broke 
and I have read it and reread it and reread it, and I continue to buy it and give copies away. And so I always have a fresh copy, so I can always give one away. And all I can say is that uh, if you, uh, if, if a person is willing to open his or her mind to a to the idea that there is a spirituality of money, uh, that uh, Catherine Ponder, um, you know, maybe after the, the after the Bible, uh, this is the single most important book I've ever read in my life, and I could practically recite chunks of it because. I, I love it so much, and it's and because it influenced my thinking so much. So there you go. Wow. Wow. Okay. Um, I'm not familiar with that book, but I'm definitely going to add that to my reading list, and we'll definitely get to it. Um, yes, and I have to say that usually I was surprised that you just spit it out like that because of anyone, you know, I'm sure you, you're very careful with which books you consider to be worthwhile reading, which ones maybe not as much, and I, I really appreciate that uh, recommendation. Just before we let you go, um, if if the listeners want to follow what you're doing and they want to either get in touch with you about a book idea or just to see you know what else you're doing, what is the best way for them to follow you, for them to contact you? Have them, uh, have them uh, sure, have them go to Michael at Business Ghost, B-U-S-I-N-E-S-S, like business and ghost, G-H-O-S-T, like Casper the Friendly Ghost, Michael at businessghost.com. And... Uh, I'll be happy to hear from them. I'll answer any question. If they want to talk about books, we'll talk about books, whether it's getting a book done or just in general, whatever. And uh, that's the best way. Okay, awesome. I'll definitely include a link to that in the show notes and anything else uh, that we discussed. Thank you, Michael, so much for your time. I really, really appreciate it. And again, thank you for coming on the show. Well, you ask great questions, and I think it's tremendous. So I'll be uh, looking forward to uh, any follow-up. So thank you so much. What a great conversation with Michael that was. If you remember back in episode 16, we spoke to Pat Flynn, where we mentioned the Will It Fly book, where over there too, we spoke about how important it is before you create a solution for somebody else's problem, you find out if you really have the answer to that problem and if you're doing it in the right way. And most importantly, will somebody pay for it? On another note, a listener reached out to me and said that she began applying the MIT rule, the most important task that was mentioned in episode number 13 with Kevin Cruz. The MIT is that you specify the day before what is the one thing that if you only did that one thing, your day was a success. You write it down and you don't waver from it no matter what. And you get that done right away in the morning. And then you know that from there, the day is only uphill from there. Have you implemented something that was discussed on the show that one of the action items or is there some other way that this show has helped you implement something in your business? Please do me a favor, shoot me an email at schmuel at schmuelseptimist.com and let me know how you have grown personally or professionally from this show. We'll be sure to give you a shout out in a future episode. Wishing you tremendous success in making your working hours the most fulfilling hours of your day.